Peace to you. Welcome back to The Naked Truth and thank you for joining me. We're going to pick up where we left off in the Old Testament with the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 15. If you want to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. David built houses for himself in the city of David and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it's the same David, um, David and Goliath, David, uh, King David that we're talking about here. And um, it's talking about some of the construction he did after he became king. Um, and the Ark of God is the same Ark we were reading about previously, which is, <coughs> excuse me, referenced in the movie uh, series, in the movie, um, in the Indiana Jones se movie series in one Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's that same Ark that's being referenced. And we read about it and its creation. And previously in the scriptures. So um, David is making a place for it to be posted up. Verse 2, then David said, no one may carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and minister before him forever. So David is reflecting back on the um, scriptures that we're talking about when the ark was first created, I guess, formed. There's a difference, <laughs> but just, uh, for us, not much. But when they first made the ark and its design basically was the way it was described, it seemed to be a replica of the scenery and what we think of as heaven, of God's place, God's throne, and the angels who surround God um, with their wings. Undeniably, that's how they're descri described as having wings um, spread out to cover the actual appearance of God so that those who approach that throne can actually see God is the way the um, the ark is designed. So if you think want to think of it as like a throne, like a seat with uh, an angel on either side and their wings large enough and spread out in front of them to cover the place where the seat is and that seat is referred to in the Bible as the mercy seat, um, but it's also um, in the all in the Bible also referred to as uh, or could be considered in reference to the great throne in the um, in the uh, Book of Revelation, uh, basically the seat of God. But the uh, one issue with that is that Jesus tells us that when he, when Jesus comes again, what we think of as the second coming. Um, well, it's Matthew 26 tells us hereafter, you'll see the son of man. That's Jesus sitting at the right hand of the power. Presumably that's God almighty, the father, if you want to think of it that way, um, and coming on the clouds of heaven. So there's nothing about us being transfigured in the twinkle of an eye. Nothing about us meeting uh, Jesus in the clouds or in the crowds, nothing like that at all. And then Jesus goes on to tell, even though that's what other religions even in the Bible, we'll tell you. So that's one of those instances, a major one, where you have to consider what is it you actually believe. Do you actually believe Christianity, what Jesus says? Or do you believe Christianity that ignores what Jesus says and preaches something else to you and passes it down as tradition? It's absolutely your choice, but there is a difference. And both of them are in the Bible, both of them in the New Testament, and both of them get labeled Christianity, but only one of them is true. One is the sort of idea of a rapture, where you'll be um, 
scooped up and, and flashed like you see in the movies sometimes in the um in the uh, in their representation over their idea of the um armageddon or the second coming you see people like lightning suddenly be in a flash gone um that's another religion that's not what jesus says but as always believe what you want we're just reading and this isn't even gospel in this book this isn't red letter so um, these aren't any things that Jesus is saying. This is more about the history, this chapter today, uh, about the history of the Ark and how it's moved about and how it uh, reacted in some cases, like in one case I think we just read about, uh, when it was being carried, the animals carrying it, because although it's considered supernatural and according to the narratives have done some supernatural things, it had to be carried around on some cows on some oxen um instead of just levitating like a magic carpet would or something it's probably the entity's personal choice just like some days you feel like walking some days you feel like being in a cadillac some days you feel like being on your bicycle so maybe that's how the entity was um it's but it just makes it harder to believe not to mention the things jesus says i mean of course we're going to mention the things jesus says that no one has seen uh, they've neither seen God's form, neither heard God's voice at any time, nor seen his form. Jesus tells us that in the gospel. So whatever entity it is that people are worshiping as their God, and people have that right to do that, um, it seems unlikely as Christians that it's God Almighty. Um, because again, why would God need to be carried around on, on, on carts, on oxes, on cows, on animals, um, or even a vehicle to travel like we read about in Ezekiel? It's it's just, unless God likes different modes of transportation like people do. Oh, I guess we'll just keep reading and see. So um, back to the ark, verse 3. Um, verse 2, before we move on, David is reflecting on the fact that according to its creation when it was first formed, that only certain people were allowed to carry that ark. Um, and that's what it's called. They're calling it an ark. It's think of it again like a, a trunk a large trunk or chest with a chair and two angels on it with their wings spread out over that chair and also wings covering their faces. So the angels have more than even two wings each, at least according to the description of designs throughout the Bible. But they do have wings regardless of what your preacher may tell you. Um, so um, the Levites are the particular branch of the Israelite families as they're called tribes that were chosen when the ark was created to exclusively be the ones to carry the ark. Verse 3, And David gathered all Israel together at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. So David created a place to as for the showpiece, and he's got some decided to go get it, the ark. Um, and after it, um, before we move on about the ark, one of the, we read about it, one of the supernatural things it seemed it was able to do, according to the narratives, was um, lash out. Again, it didn't levitate on its own. It was being carried by the animals. And as we were reading, I think it was even in the previous chapter, um, the animal carrying it stumbled. So um, people, the, one, of the lead, one of the people attending to it, um, to the ark and its movements, reached out his hand to prevent the ark from stumbling over from tumbling over and just for doing that he got uh the death penalty uh the 
suddenly, uh, all of a sudden, the he was uh, lashed out at and killed. So um, the Ark, if you're going to believe that's God, is able to react instantly in situations like that. But we also read instances of incest, of rape, of gang rape, of uh, sexual assault, not to mention the crucifixion, all happening with God watching and doing nothing in that moment to intervene. And yet we're supposed to believe, according to these Old Testament narratives, God would instantly strike out and kill the person who's trying to help keep it from tumbling over. So I'm, we're just reading it. So let's just keep reading. And I don't mean to tarry long on these things, but I see that we were getting to these chat, these verses that are just lists of names again. So um, I know we'll most likely run through them, beginning with this one, verse 4. Then David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites. So David's the king. The children of Aaron are the descendants of the um, religious uh, branch of religious branch of the tribes, and the Levites are the religious branch of the tribes also. Because Aaron was Moses' brother, and he was sort of like the first high priest. And then all of his sons who descended from him fell into that same position. Um, but also the Levites were considered the whole branch of the family, like I said, of the tribes, considered to be dedicated to the religious things also. And when I say religion, I don't mean any offense by that. I mean, it's just the practicing thing, the things people practiced back then in their efforts to get closer to God, however you want to think of that. So now we're going to name off the different people who took part in part of that and, and took part in that. And I'll, as usual, when we get to these sort of names and things, I'll just read through them and stop at the ones that stand out to me. Verse 5 of the sons of Kohath, Uriel the chief, and 120 of his brethren. Of the sons of Merari, Isaiah the chief, and 220 of his brethren. Of the sons of Gershom, Joel the chief, and 130 of his brethren. Of the sons of Elizaphan, Shemaiah the chief, and 200 of his brethren. Of the sons of Hebron, Eliel the chief, and 80 of his brethren. Of the sons of Uziel, Amenadab the chief, and 112 of his brethren. And David called for Zadok and Abiathar the priests, and for the Levites, for Uriel, Asaiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, and Amenadab. So as always, please forgive me if I mispronounce any of these names. David is sort of having a holy convocation of uh, having them gather together to have a powwow, basically, and discuss things or see what's up next. Verse, um, before we move on also, some preachers, some uh, churches will make a lot of the different names and their um, translations and tie that into the big picture of things. And sometimes they do. They fit the role that the person plays in the picture of things. And sometimes they don't. They seem just random. One of the things you may want to do, there's a tool online. It's free. If you do a search for uh, what do biblical names mean, or what do names mean? Don't even limit it to biblical, but what do names mean? Um, and then you'll have it pull up uh, when you'll be able to search those different names. I, the thing I think is notable is when some of those same preachers who hang on what the different names mean and try and apply them to what it is that's going on. And I'm not saying that's a good practice or not. I just think you should be consistent in it. And if you're going to be consistent in it, use that tool and watch 
specifically for the names that the preachers skip over. Look at those names and see what they turn out to mean. And I think you'll be surprised and it'll tell a lot about what um, some of those Bible-thumping hypocritical preachers are actually trying to hide from you. Um, I say that because you can see it, and then we're going to move on, in some of the preachers when they talk about one thing in particular. Now, lately, it's focused, more hyper-focused on trans people, but more openly, more widely, it focuses on when they talk about homosexuality in the Bible and in mainstream um, culture and pop culture and period. If the subject of homosexuality comes up, watch and see how the preacher talking about it suddenly begins to act. And it may not even be so sudden depending on their ministry. I don't know what it is. It's probably a, a spiritual thing um, to keep us from sinning. But when people lie or say untruths, you'll notice that they'll do things with their mouth. Their mouth will get dry. They'll have to. They'll start smacking. They'll start <clears throat> throat, clearing their throat. They'll start moving their lips around. They'll start licking their lips. I think what it is is they're taking the step closer to hell, and in a in a spiritual uh, sense, in the big picture sense, and that's their warning. That's their sign. It's drying them out. That heat is getting to them, and they'll continue on down it. And you'll notice lots of them when they get to subjects. Mostly, almost certainly, almost most consistently, I would say, is uh, homosexuality. But when it gets to other things also, like uh, anything related to sex um, um, or anything related to racism, you'll notice also then suddenly the same sort of things will happen. They'll start to stutter. They'll uh, start licking their lips. It's the, the hell they're getting closer to, warning them that they're doing something damnable, something abominable. They'll still continue on down that path, but they're tells that you can look and see and what people do and watch and see for yourself. And almost um, so many of the times history has shown us whatever issue it is, they're um, so vehement about, so vocal about, so loud about, it's the demon they're uh, wrestling with. And it turns out, as we've read, what they consider demonic and abominable and evil, uh, homosexuality, most, like I said, most frequently, most consistently, isn't even something that's damnable. Yes, it's in the Bible as something abominable, but as Christians, again, we're supposed to go by what the red letters say, what Jesus says. Jesus tells us a whole different other message when it comes to homosexuality. Luke 17, 34, you can check it out for yourself, about heaven and hell. Jesus tells us that in Luke 23, 43. People can look up the truth for themselves because it's right there in front of you at your fingertips if you have a phone if you're in a uh, at home you have you may have a bible uh if you're in a cheap motel you used to have a bible uh in, right there in the nightstand even that's changing so you can see it for yourself if you want to and be trapped in the lie of the deceit of what preachers who are wrestling with their own uh so-called demons are dealing with and what they're telling you to wrestle with and what's reality of what god has us to know as Christians, delivered directly to us by Jesus himself, even in giving up his life to do it. So having all that being said, let's keep moving. Verse 12, he said to them, you're the heads of the father's houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I prepared for it. 
So David is trying to do things by the book, knowing that only the Levites are authorized to handle the um, ark. Um, so he's telling them to sanctify themselves. What that means to us in plain English would be ritually cleanse yourselves. They had things they had to do, whether it's um, a certain bath, that's basic. Uh, animal sacrifices, that too. But they're the main unspoken thing was sex. They were supposed to refrain from, depending on who they are and what they're going to touch and deal with, they're supposed to refrain from sex. All sex, not just gay sex, not just sex with uh, their wives, even if they're married, or their side pieces, their concubines, their prostitutes. They're not supposed to have touch any of those for certain ritualistic things. They're supposed to cleanse themselves. And as crazy as that may sound, in modern times, think about it. Athletes, many of them do the exact same thing. They'll refrain from sex altogether. I think that's because there's power um, that can be manifest um, through um, the sex of it all, the physical part of it all, the uh, relief of it all, um, the testosterone, um, the sperm, all of that stuff, all of, I think, the, the ejaculation. I think there's energy that's involved in all of that. And the interest it takes mentally to even do um, all of those things, it may seem second nature when you're a teenager, but in time, you get tired of the same thing sometimes, and you actually have to put mental focus into uh, being interested in something. And sometimes that's with the blue pill or without a blue pill. You still have to want to do what it is you're doing. And I think that's something telling about tops and bottoms. People think of the gayest people as us trans and gayest in the sense of in a, in a, in a disparaging way. They think of trans as the extreme uh, worst example of that, the gayest. They think of it that way. Um, but in reality, um, and they think of bottoms, they think they're sissies, as people would you say sometimes in a negative way, and all sorts of other ways. They'll think of the person who's the bottom as the most despicable, low-down, gayest you can be, the most obviously gay example uh, you can be. But in reality, it's the top who's the gayest, because all the bottom has to do is lay there. The top has to be mentally interested, physically interested, and be able to react sexually and be interested. So truly, it's the person who's acting as a top who in general society is considered the masculine, the, the alpha in the gay community and outside of it, um, is the gayest, not the bottoms. Um, I think it was Tyra Banks who said it best um, that, that I think that's where I heard it from when she had a show. Um, anyway, so it, things aren't always as they seem is um, the point. And um, with the Levites, they're the ones who are specifically supposed to be doing it. And so David, to get back to where we're at, is saying, okay, I know you're the ones that's supposed to do it. And again, that, I, I, so I sort of got off on that track about the Levites cleansing themselves. That's the point of it all. You're, they're supposed to refrain from all of that sexual activity top or bottom, married or whatever, part of the rich, ritualistic cleansing and preparation for it is abstaining from all of that sex. And people do it for more than just religion, religious reasons. It wasn't my point. Verse 13, for because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us. 
because we did not consult him about the proper order. So now David here, not the narrator, but whoever it is that's um, passing the book of Chronicles on to us, the scribe, presumably, or scribes, plural, is letting us know they believe that uh, they, they're quoting David as saying that the reason God did that, reacted so violently, um, so instantaneously over someone trying to keep the ark from being, uh, from tumbling over, toppling over, um, was because the proper people weren't the ones carrying it, that it's exclusively supposed to be for the Levites to be the ones to carry it. And that is uh, true, uh, scripturally accurate, accurate that it's supposed to just be them who carry it. But um, that wasn't why they got lashed out at it. It's because um, the one trying to be helpful uh, maybe stepped on God's toes. Like I said, maybe when we read it, maybe God was using that as a moment to shine and flex and show some grand and spectacular thing like the ark floating and levitating and saving itself and not caring that the animal uh, was about to stumble. We'll never know. Maybe that's why they got lashed out at. But according to David, the reason they got lashed, he got lashed out at and stricken down was because he wasn't a Levite. And so he's trying to do the right thing or the proper thing according to the regulations this time in moving it. Verse 14, so the priests and the Levites sanctify themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. So they're doing what they have to do ritually to prepare to handle the ark. Verse 15, and the children of the, Le children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. So that's the way it was being carried around. Again, it's supposed to, it's supposed to have the presence of God in it, but it's not levitating or traveling on its own. It's not on wheels like a car is in modern times. It's being carried about on poles by the authorities designated previously in the scriptures. Verse 16, then David spoke to the leaders of Levites to appoint their brethren to be the singers accompanied by instruments of music, stringed instruments, harps, and cymbals by raising the voice with resounding joy. So it makes me think of Whitney Houston and her uh, Preacher's Wife soundtrack, one of my favorites when it comes to uh, gospel music. Her voice is incredible. So that resounding joy is what the uh, basically choir is what is being referred to here in verse 16. Verse 17, so the Levites appointed Heman, the son of Joel, and for his brethren, Asaph, the son of Berechiah, and of their brethren, the sons of Merari, Ethan, Ethan, excuse me, the son of Cushiah, and with them, their brethren of the second rank, Zechariah, Ben, Jaziel, Shemiramoth, Jehiel, Uni, Eliab, Benaiah, Masiah, Mattathiah, Eliphale, Mikniah, Obed-Edom, and Jael, the gatekeepers. I wonder if that's the same Obed-Edom whose house they, um, it's probably not, because that Obed-Edom um, seemed to be described as a foreigner whose house they left the ark at previously. And only now, after they saw he was being blessed, went to his house and decided to get him. For some reason, that name just makes me think he's black. I don't know if he is or not. And I'm guessing lots of people were reading along here because they were in Africa for 400 plus years are probably people of color, a.k.a. black. But doesn't really matter in the big picture of things, but it does matter in the whitewashing of things that is so popular in this world. 
Verse 19, the singers He-Man, Asaph, and Ethan were to sound the cymbals of bronze. Zechariah, Aziel, Shemiramoth, Jehiel, Uni, Eliab, Masia, and Benea with strings according to the Al according to Alamoth, Mattathiah, Galithalai, Miknia, Obed-Edom, Jael, and Azaziah to direct the harps on the Sheminith. So we're going through the, the orchestra, basically. Verse 22, Shenaniah, leader of the Levites, was instructor in charge of the mu music because he was skillful. Barakiah and Elkanah were doorkeepers for the ark. Um, these are the different people who are to attend to the ark and its movements. Verse 24, and its security. Verse 24, Shevaniah, Joshaphat, Nephanel, Amaseh, Zechariah, Benaiah, and Eleazar the priests were to blow the trumpets before the ark of God. And Obed-Edom and, Obed and Jehiah, doorkeepers for the ark. So you see how lots of these names, as obscure as they sound in modern times, are actually repetitive. So pretty common among people back then in their culture. Uh, verse 25, so David, the elders of Israel, and the captains over thousands went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with joy. So see yet another Obed-Edom, even though we read about at least two other Obed-Edoms, were going up to this Obed-Edom's house to take the Ark away from him since it's been a blessing to him. It's been prosperous for him. So now they want to go ahead and take it away from him. One more reason, it makes me think he's probably black. Um, but again, lots of them probably are. Lots of people who are anti-black are black, believe it or not. Lots of people, we saw it recently, who are against things like affirmative action actually benefited from affirmative action. And for reasons like racism, and yet they turn around and they're against it. You don't have to look far to see who they are. Um, but it's very telling that it's, let's move on. Verse 27. David was clothed, verse 26, and so it was when God helped the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bulls and seven rams. So um, now as they're moving the Ark along, they're making what we think of, what are called burnt offerings, what we think of as barbecue. They're making these steps and they're roasting animals. Now whether they're actually eating them this time or not, it's unclear, but they're definitely moving along, slaughtering animals, and this is uh, seemingly pleasing to the entity that they're uh, worshiping. The uh, that's <clears throat> excuse me represented by this Ark of the Covenant, as it's called. That doesn't again doesn't levitate itself. It doesn't. It's not like a self-driving vehicle that you can type in an address and program it to go where you want it to go. It's having to be carried about on the animal, on animals' backs and on poles by people. It seems to me if God is in there, and we've seen, according to the narrative, it being able to do supernatural things. So it's not a question of does it have some sort of supernatural presence and power. We, According to the narratives, clearly it does. But the thing is, is it really God Almighty? It seems unlikely to me since God Almighty says thou shalt not kill. Uh, in the Old Testament, Jesus affirms that in the New Testament. And yet again, and yet we see the ark being carried about by people, not self-sustained and moving on its own. 
it's um, not ambulatory on its own. It lashes out and kills people instantly, gives people the death penalty for trying to help. So believe that's God Almighty if you want to. But again, that's not what Jesus says. Verse 27, David was clothed with a, clothed with a robe of fine linen, and were all, as were all the Levites who bore the ark, the singers, and Shenaniah, the music master with the singers. David also wore a linen ephod. So um, their clothing is expensive. The people taking part in the um, theater of their religion, whether it's the uh, Levites or the king or um, the priests who are descendants of Aaron, they're all living large. They're dressed with fine linen, it says it right there, and um, they're front and center. And he has a linen ephod, and the ephod is an ornamental vest is what it's uh, described as when I looked it up. So he also wears that. And some one of the priests even has one that's bejeweled. Um, think of like um, the um, a certain ancient church that's around and has millions of followers worldwide. Um, think of like uh, uh, dynasties of families that have uh, jewels in them and in their crowns and in their outfits. That's what the ephod is. Verse 28, thus all Israel brought up the ark of of the covenant of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn, with trumpets and with cymbals, making music with stringed instruments and harps. So it's a parade basically moving the um, Ark of the Covenant to its new place that David has erected for it. Verse 29, And it happened as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, that Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David whirling and playing music. And she despised him in her heart. So we read about that episode where she seemed to have, uh, was in her feelings about seeing him dancing and carrying on, celebrating, bringing the ark into his city, Jerusalem, basically. Um, and that he was, men wore skirts at this time. Think of like Robin Hood, like that. Uh, tunics that's uh, basically a body dress that women wear now back then men wore them so if he's dancing and twirling around she saw his privates as he was going up the stairs so um, she <laughs> gave him the side eye when that happened and he had many wives including her and so that's what it's reflecting back on in that moment and we read about um, what happened to her um, and their marriage among his other marriages, uh, when we went over the King David era in the, previously. Uh, but this is the last verse in this chapter, so that's where we're going to end this reading. As always, thank you for joining me for The Naked Truth. I hope it's been a blessing for you, and I hope you'll join me again. I love you. Stay safe. Peace be with you.